As sentient beings, we find ourselves thrown into a world that inflicts immense pain and suffering. So having the option of a graceful exit should be seen as a basic, universal human right. Since our existence is better to never have been, we should all have the right to die. Welcome to the Right to No Longer Exist, a Right to Die podcast featuring your hosts, Danny, Kevin, and Amanda. In this show, we attempt to change the perception of society's views of voluntary euthanasia and what true autonomy could look like. Hey, everybody. Welcome to the Rights No Longer Exist, the Right to Die podcast. We are here on our fifth episode, and we're trucking along again. And um, we are happy and grateful to have a special guest on, Anton. He's um, a YouTuber, and he speaks amazing things, uh, usually about stuff in Canada um, and what's going on with legislation there, but also just talks about all different other issues, slippery slope issues, just arguments in general for the right to die. And I like how he brings up actually other arguments um, that are against the right to die and talks about that, which is always a good conversation to have. Um, So we're we're grateful to have you on. Um, Thank you so much for being here. Thanks for having me. I'm I'm really glad to actually be on here. Uh, It's good to have allies in the fight for the right to die. and even though we're just across the border where it's, it's very similar between Canada and the United States. So yeah, it's good to be here. Yeah, absolutely. And we were just talking before the recording, how, you know, it's so important to, to have so much more people talking about it. Cause it does kind of show in other people's faces that aren't exposed to it, that there is, this is an issue that's been going on for a whole long time, but even, even in 30 years where there is a death of dignity here and there, um, just how much that lacks and how much advancements that need to be made for that. I assume all of us would agree. <laughs> um, but yeah, uh, if you would just, uh, Anton, please uh, share with us anything about yourself whatsoever you're comfortable with and, um, you know, how you ultimately got to be so interested in the right to die as well. Uh, for sure. Yeah. So it was, uh, I think 2016, I was, <clears throat> What was going on? I don't remember exactly what was happening in my life, but I, I'm pretty sure I was pretty bummed out. <laughs> and I s- saw this news, or I read this news: <clears throat> Canada is implementing made legislation, medical assistance in dying. And I'm like, "What the heck is this?" And it it blew my mind that it was happening. And I just never thought within my lifetime that something like this would happen. I always thought that. Uh, they, the whoever they are, would be holding us back as a society from advancing in this regard. And I'm, I'm worried about labeling whoever they are because it's it's not like everybody that's religious is against it or everybody that's conservative is against it and whatnot. So I just learning that recently. Um, but yeah, <clears throat> it got passed. That bill got passed and I started learning more about it. I learned that this uh, this woman uh, named Carter uh, sued the government and worked her way all the way up to the Supreme Court of Canada. And the Supreme Court judges agreed with her on every point in her argument. And they <clears throat> passed it on that their job is just to to go with the case to come up with a judgment. They don't actually make the law. 
And then they pass that on to the branch of government that makes the laws that that actually writes the laws. And they said, okay, here you go. You guys need to uh, change the law so that uh, people can assist one another in their dying. That's essentially it. Um, and their, their uh, logic was it's cruel to force people into positions like what Carter was in, where they have to turn to risky, violent, inhumane ways of dying, or they have to live on and suffer intolerably until they die of natural causes. Um, so yeah, when that happens in 2016, uh, well, that didn't happen in 2016. The, the court case happened earlier than that. But in 2016, the law was passed, the very first legislation, made legislation, uh, and it got legalized and it, the wording was very vague. Um, and it was intentionally vague. It was vague so that it wouldn't piss off as many people. And, you know, when you ask a politician a question, you watch them and they give these super smoke and mirrors answers where it's like, do you agree or disagree with this? Well, it's like, could you just give a straight answer? So anyway, the law was not straight. OK, it was like you're dying in the reasonably foreseeable future. You get access to this. What is that? Two weeks, two years, two decades. Like, what's the reasonably foreseeable future? You're suffering intolerably. What is it if I get a paper cut or if I like, you know, what counts is this? So I'm reading the bill and I'm going, you could argue on every, all of this. Like anyone, there's no, it doesn't say you have to be of this age. I could qualify. So I, <clears throat> You know, I had already, I was, I was already in a lot of sucky situation then. So I went to the, I went to try and get access to it. I was denied access to it. I got locked up in a cell, as we talked about before the podcast. I talk about that on my YouTube channel. That sucked. Um, but that was a, a big game changer for me for going, you know what? I'm not eligible currently, but it's possible. It can happen within my lifetime. And so that's when I jumped on to lobbying or writing to politicians and, and, and now making YouTube videos on the subject. So that's, that's, that was the start of, uh, of getting involved in this. Yeah. Thanks for sharing. That's, that's amazing story. I mean, what other better way can you like uh, have great information on something than to experience it? Not that you need that, but personal experience or, you know, is, is always, great you know just kind of like my brother killed himself you know so it's like if anyone ever comes to me like oh did you ever have a family member kill yourself or as if that's an argument you know what i mean i can still say yes but i would never you know bring it up but i just did so <laughs> no but that's that's interesting that that's a way that you're you're attempting to keep up you know up, updating your, your application or whatever you call it or pursuing that that's that's awesome because it just shows there's a there's a need out there um, and people are interested or there's just interest in general, you know, by writing um, people and doing things like this as well, of course. Um, does that did that moment ever make you think that you wanted to be like an act, activist? Do you like consider yourself an activist or doing activism in general? Or is that kind of something that's too extreme sounding for you? <laughs> I, I 
I think that the word activist is uh, kind of a gray area to some extent, because it's like, where do you draw the line between a non-activist and an activist? Like, I, th I would say I am an activist. Um, <clears throat> I'm not going out there putting posters up outside and whatnot, and I'm not like knocking on people's doors. Uh, but uh, I think just even the act of making YouTube videos, it's, it's an action. It's about raising awareness. It's not like you're standing on the street corner on a soapbox, but it's to some extent, it can be even more effective than standing on the corner of a street box because your audience is massive potentially. And the shelf life of a YouTube video is pretty much as long as YouTube as a company continues existing. So yeah, I would say I am an activist. That's great. Well, I hope you keep it up because it's um you have great arguments and great um ways that you express um the arc the arguments against um pro life people <laughs> for lack of a better word. But um yeah, uh, Danny and Amanda, I think you had a question too. Or right, we're gonna just roundtable this and take turns. We'll see how this works out. <laughs> Absolutely, Danny. Would you like to go first? Up to you. You're muted, Danny. Oh, okay. I got one. Do you still support waiting periods for those who are mentally ill? If so, how long should said waiting periods be and what requirements should be expected of the mentally ill before they get green lighted by maid? This is a really good question because this has been such a point of contention amongst different people within the, the, the right to die, those that support it. Um, so in the past, uh, when I first started talking about the right to die, I was really only thinking about my situation. And so for my situation, it would have been appropriate to have a waiting period. Cause I would have had no problem. I would have been like, okay, I can, I can hold out. But the reason behind my request for the right to die, isn't the same as everybody else's, right? Like somebody who's dying of cancer, for example, or somebody who, is just tired of living or you know whatever someone who hasn't even whatever maybe they're just like I'm, I'm old i've lived enough who knows so since then uh what i've learned now is that uh we can have different tracks for different types of people and so i know right now the track right now might be okay people who have mental illness are all categorized in this track right <clears throat> there could be subtracks within that I'm not quite sure because, for example, like if let's say I just have mild depression, right? Let's just say I have mild depression. Technically, it's mental illness, right? And then it could, there could be somebody else that has something that's different, but more it impacts them more severely, right? Uh, it's it might not be appropriate to make that person wait, and it could make things worse for them, right? And the other thing too is, if they're suffering, it prolongs their suffering. And it could be unnecessary. It could have no difference in the long run. So it's it's a tricky subject because for some people, it could be the difference bet between life and death. And life, I know that not everybody agrees about whether or not life is valuable. I subscribe to the idea that there is value in life itself and that it is something that's worth protecting. So. I think that if if there are things that can be done to help a person, I think it's really worth trying. 
Like, for example, if I went to the dentist and I had a toothache, right? I don't want the dentist to jump straight to pulling my tooth out. If they can do something to save my tooth, I'd like them to save my tooth, right? And it's similar with, uh, with life. Like a person might not be aware of everything that's out there in terms of helping them. Maybe there's a way to get um, free housing, right? Maybe there's a way for them to get free housing. Maybe there's a way where uh, there, there can be work that they can do or, or something valuable that they can do for society for, for recompense, and they just haven't found it yet. Um, so I think that there's value in a waiting period. And I know that there's a lot of people that are just like, there should be no, no red tape. I don't want any red tape. Perhaps there could be a different track for people that like, there's no red tape. I, maybe they, I don't know. I'm just thinking on the fly here on this one. I know this is a really tricky subject. I want to give a good answer and I don't want to piss too many people off. <laughs> so I think that perhaps maybe there could just be something where it's like, okay, hey, would you be willing to wait and explore options? Perhaps that could be a question that's asked rather than forcing people to wait. Uh, maybe that could be a better way of doing it. I don't know exactly what the best way is of doing this. I just, the main thing for me is focusing that we're actually moving forward on the subject and advancements are being made. So I said this before on my channel, I'll say it again here. If the right to die gets legalized without a waiting period, I'm not going to be upset. I'm going to be glad that we made step forward, steps forward on this. But if it got legalized and it did require a waiting period, selfishly, admittedly, I'd be okay with it because I could handle it. But I, I know that it's not going to please everybody because I've had people comment on my channel and, and, and say to me that, uh, that they disagree with waiting periods. So yeah, it's, it's a mixed bag. It's not an easy answer to give, but I have to be honest in, in, uh, from my perspective on, on this. Yeah. Good answer. Um, I'm of the school of thought that there really shouldn't be like, I mean, people should not be segregated based on their condition, like whether they are mentally oh. ill, life weary, or just want to die or, or, I mean, or terminally ill, they should have the same rights under the law. And that is why I think it's so important to promote uh, the right to die as a basic human right, a constitutional right. So people won't be segregated, but you know, it's, it kind of brings me to my next question because, you know, we're talking about death, you know, what about life? You know, when we're talking about waiting periods, um, you know, people who want to procreate and bring life into existence, they have no stipulations. I mean, you can be, um, uh, you can be a, a heroin addict and have mm -hmm. children and no waiting periods, no, no requirements of any kind. So I would like to ask, yeah, should there be requirements for people who want to have children, like such as like uh, mandatory parenting classes, mental health and drug screenings before they can earn the right to impose life? Because, you know, the we live in a world where the imposition is not the will of the imposition is not respected, but the imposers are. 
You know what I mean? The life creators, not the, you know, not the products of that life. The, so. the imposition is not respected, but the imposers are. The, yeah, the 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 imposers of life, our parents. You know, you can have children anytime you want, but yeah, if you want to die, your feet are held to the fire. Sorry, I kind of like went a little on a rant here, but uh, go I, ahead. I, I completely agree with some sort of checks in place before you have a kid. Like somebody, I saw this great meme and it was like, you need a, you need a license to go fishing, but anyone can have a kid like without any checks in place or whatsoever. And yeah, I think that there should be absolutely. It's a huge responsibility. Um, while I was in the shelter, I saw, I saw uh, people getting pregnant and I was like, How's, you know, what's, uh, and I, you know, I don't mean to, it, it's, it's a super complicated subject and I don't mean to be like, oh, you shouldn't be, you know, it's like people are going to do what, what feels good. Um, and, and maybe they, what they think is right, they're working with the, the best with what they know. Um, I, I agree though, that there should be at least some sort of competency test or something. The thing is, as soon as you get into that territory, people are going to go, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? It's like selective breeding, but for humanity. Um, eugenics. Eugenics. Yeah. People are like, oh, that sounds like eugenics. And uh, they get kind of scared. It's like, that sounds like communism or whatever, it, whatever it is. Uh, so it, it, it's it is a very complicated thing the deeper you get into it because it starts to get mucky it, you know how are you going to how are you going to enforce that um but the general premise i think is really good um raising a kid is no small task and <clears throat> just the other day i saw this this uh, 60 minutes interview where they interviewed this girl where uh, she, there was 15 kids inside this household. They had never left the house. They had been in the house their whole lives. One of them was 22 years old. They did not get into full detail on what happened to them. And I'm really glad it's heartbreaking to see what happened, to see them. They were emaciated. They were locked up in chains. They couldn't speak right. One of them, their arm was like a nub because they weren't being fed enough food. And this girl escaped. She got through a window and she had a phone with her and uh, she, they were smart enough to take pictures and she ran out. And the very first person she had, she got to see in real life was a cop because she, she called 911 and the, and the reporter or not the, the person on the phone got a cop out to her. And when she spoke to her cop, it was the very first time she spoke to somebody else outside of her household. And she was 19 years old or 17, something like that. And the body camera footage shows her talking. She hadn't taken a bath in like a year. And so all of these details, right? I know that this is a sad story, but I think it just is firm evidence to support um, some sort of preventative measure. I've said this on my YouTube channel. I'll say it again here as well, that we focus way too much on damage control measures and not enough on preventing bad things from happening. I, I'd love to live in a world where nobody feels suicidal. 
in the first place, right? Wouldn't that be great? But um, I think that within the reasonably foreseeable future, uh, we can't prevent all of them from happening. But uh, so that's why I support the right to die. But this, what you're bringing up, Danny, is an argument that I, it's, it's on the back of my mind, uh, putting measures in place to prevent suicidality from occurring in the first place and having more checks and balances or some sort of work done uh, before the children are born is part of that process. That's a big battle and that's like a big hill to die on. And so I've just sort of, I've kept that one as a separate, I don't want, I'm not going to go die on that hill. I'm focusing on, on the right to die, but I am with you on that. I do support preventative measures in place to uh, ensure that people are being, uh, people who are creating children are ready for it. And, and one more thing I'll add, sorry, just one more thing I'll add. Um, in the Philippines, uh, before you get married, you're required to have, a, to go to a family planning seminar or some sort of a, a couple of seminars to teach you uh, skills to make sure that you're you're uh, well equipped to have a, a solid family uh, because there's no divorce there. It's like you you're, a, you're it's a full on commitment. It's a big deal, uh, and family is very important over there. So just it's it, it it exists over there. So something kind of like that exists over there. So it's it's possible. Okay. Thanks for the question. That was a good question. Oh no problem. I'd just like to add a little bit to that is where it's like, even in the best conditions, you, you're a multimillionaire, you're the parents are just the sweethearts, you know, they're just their sweethearts, they're adorable, their whole life's goal is to have a kid and you know, they would do their best job at, at raising them and all that. But it's like there was there, the kids life and the risks you're taking by them becoming existing and coming into life is a gamble that's that's still even the most richest billionaire most ethical person is still going to never be able to control the effects of that risk that they're imposing on the kid and like so by default when the kid is born into an existence fundamentally they should instantly have that human right of the right to die um and of course you could talk about like you, you were talking about which is great you know different steps to take and it's all should be subjective and and, you know, geared towards everybody's specific situation. But, you know, it's the fact that even we're here, um, that should we should be granted that right to exit peacefully, you know, if, if we see see fit. So just tacking on to that. <laughs> I agree. Well, Anton, uh, first off, let me just start off by saying it's really a pleasure to have you with us today. So thank you so much. And, you know, I think I can speak for all of us. We really, really enjoy your YouTube channel and um, it's just excellent content. Um, so, you know, my friends that I have spoken with over the last few years, you know, in Canada have been extremely excited about what's been going on with made laws. And it seemed like, you know, a year ago, Oh, you know, the battle was over, you know, you, you know, with you'll, you'll, you'll sign up for it and, you know, we'll have to go through this or that within two years, no matter your diagnosis, whatever you got going on, you're going to be able to end your life, you know, and then it's in the battle is over, you know, there was much celebration. I remember um, a year ago, a year and a half ago, and now it really does seem like things are in this strange murky place where 
certain things that should be happening or not happening, like this five-year review that you've made several videos about. Um, you know, before we started recording, you talked about this sort of like new mental health app that's come out. And it just seems by appearances, like maybe the buck is being passed. And mm. instead of this actually coming to true fruition, um, all kinds of strange little things, uh, half spoken, mostly unspoken are happening behind the scenes, you know, that are, that are pr going to prevent this from really, from really happening. And, uh, it's been a tragic thing to kind of watch unravel. Um, and it's also, uh, you know, a bit hard to follow, you know, from, uh, from, you know, here in Chicago. So I was wondering if you could just give like a little bit of a rundown of what, you know, in your eyes, what is the current state of made in Canada? And um, and before you do that, has it it's been officially been changed to a made? Is that correct? I don't no. think so. I think okay. that was just okay. the 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 acronym for the committee. I don't know why they picked yeah. AMAD, but yeah, okay. yeah. So I'd I'd love to know about just your thoughts on sort of where it's at right now, and and also since you made your last video, has the Senate uh, done anything? Uh, to, you know, do this five-year review that they had promised to do? Not that I know of. So the responsibility is on, I believe, the elected government to get this committee up and running. It, it, it's not even necessarily have to be a committee in that respect. Maybe it does have to be a committee. But it, all I know is that in the 2016 made law, it was written that every five years, they would have a review. So <clears throat> they could, you know, they could say, well, technically we did have a review, even though they only met like three times, they did have a review. I mean, one could argue it's like they, they got nowhere, like they were just getting started. Uh, okay. So just to clarify some background information. So, okay. I, I, I should explain here. So, <clears throat> okay. 2016. Jody Wilson-Raybould's the Minister of Justice at the time. She writes this law. It's pretty vague. Um, it's not very detailed, but it's a law in its infancy. And so what the, the responsibility from that point on is on everybody, both the politicians and the people, the, the citizens, the voters, everybody, <clears throat> to interpret this law, because it's, it's open to interpretation, and to help our society get a more detailed law or a better law. And so people have sued the government since then successfully, uh, multiple court cases. Uh, and then you've got people writing letters to the government. You've got, of course, people voting for who's going to be in governments. Every The nice thing about the five years is that you're going to have a change of government between most of these. I think every single one of these is because the government only is only voted in for four years. So we get an election between each one of these reviews. Okay, so five years goes by, it's 2021, that's last year, we have COVID-19. COVID-19 screws everything up. And they, you know, the government keeps using it as a, as a, as a scapegoat for their, for their, for not doing things. You can't blame COVID-19 for everything, but that seems to be what they do sometimes. But uh, yeah, so they, uh, late in the year, they finally get this review going, and uh, there's lots of things that are need to be talked about. Now, one thing I want to point out is that before the review was started, um, as I mentioned, some people had already sued the government 
And uh, I think there was uh, people with, uh, there was some disabled person or a couple people with disabilities and uh, they did, they weren't considered to be dying in the reasonably foreseeable future. And so <clears throat> that was considered to be unconstitutional. The reason this, this, it's so vague, like, you know, so they had to take that out. So they had Bill C-7. This time we had a new minister of justice. Uh, what's his name? Oh gosh, I forgot his name. It, it doesn't matter because he's only in temporary. There's going to be another one in the next, after the next five years anyway. So um, he introduces Bill C-7. It takes away the whole reasonably foreseeable future thing. And then it creates a two track system. You got to track for people who are imminently dying of cancer, for example, or something like that. And then you've got another track for people who are not imminently dying, somebody who's like wheelchair bound or something like that. <clears throat> and that's the basis for their suffering. They, you, have to be, you have to be suffering intolerably according to the law. That's still, yeah, I see you shaking your head. Yeah, I agree. <laughs> so anyway, um, <clears throat> that's still in the, in the law. They're not opening it up to just anybody. So, um, not yet. They haven't done it yet anyway. At least they're not doing it yet anyway. So um, where was that here? So they got the second track now for people who have disabilities and that law gets put into place. And then after that happens, oh yeah, sorry. During that time, they explicitly state, you are denied access to medical assistance in dying or how I would say it, you're, you're denied the right to die in a peaceful and painless manner, just for the, the straw, the, the people who nitpick and go, technically you do. Okay. Um, if your sole underlying condition is a mental illness, that right there pissed off a lot of people, me included. And, um, but when that got passed over to the Senate, Senator Stan Kutcher, I remember his name, cause I'm really glad to see what he did. He said, let's put a sunset clause on that. And what that means is it's like a little countdown timers ticking off next to it. And they proposed a one year or a timer, I believe. And then the, and then uh, they, they, the Senate's job is to make amendments and, and propose changes. <clears throat> and they can just put their foot down and say, no, we're not passing this. Um, and that would, that, and that's, our government's pretty dang, has difficulty with being efficient with its time anyway. <laughs> So, and, and, and there's people waiting for these bills to go through. Like there's people who are like, come on, like, I need this, please don't delay. So the Senate doesn't want to put their foot down uh, unless they absolutely have to. <clears throat> they send it back to the, the people who are voted in. Big difference between the Senate and the people who are voted in. The Senate's not voted in, they get appointed. So we, they don't have to be, they don't necessarily need to be popular, which is kind of a cool thing. That's, that's one of the tricky things about democracy, right? Who are you going to vote for? The candy salesman or the dentist? So the then it goes over to the candy salespeople. <laughs> and so they get this thing and they've got their, their uh, countdown timer of one year and they go, let's add that. Let's bring that up to two years. And I'm thinking this is awesome. They actually passed it. Even though two years, you know, it's like, oh man, two, two years is nothing in the grand scheme of things. I'm glad that that's in there. So we're still in that two year time period of waiting for that clause. <clears throat> People who have mental illness being denied access to medical assistance dying. When that countdown timer expires, that line of text 
is I, I from my understanding is just void like i i'm no lawyer okay i need to kind of point this out i'm no lawyer i don't have a full understanding of the law but from what i understanding that's going to be void and then it's uh it's up to speculation so right now um <clears throat> things aren't necessarily like doom and gloom here and i don't think we've gone i don't think it's like we were making progress and then now we're going downwards in progress i think what's happening right now is par for the course this is not a popular subject and politicians have to be popular in order to keep their job. <clears throat> and so they don't talk about this very much. It, and it is getting swept under the rug and it, it, they kind of do pass the buck on. And so they're passing the buck on to their future selves because they're still going to be the same government in two years. We're not having an election between now and then. So they have to do something by then. I think they're aware of that. What they do, we don't really know. And I think that they are ill-prepared to come up with good legislation. For all I know, they could just say, um, let's just rewrite the same line of text with another sunset clause and add another two years or three years, and then the next government can take care of it. That could happen. We we don't know. Um, but and I want to say this, and you guys, I saw this was one of the questions that was that was you're proposing. It's up to each and every one of us to hold our government's feet to the fire to take action on this, and uh, that's what we're that's part of what we're doing now. But uh, yeah, okay, I'm done. That's my answer. Thank you for the question. Uh, thank you so much for all of that. No, I, I, I mean that um, that really elucidates so much of the whole process uh, and and just the current state of it. So yeah, thank you so much. Um, let me take a, sorry, I have to kind of look over the questions a little bit. So Kevin, if, or, or if you want to go, go on to the next one, I didn't have much to uh, follow up with that. Thank you. No, no worries. Yeah, that's okay. I, I, it, it's hard when you, when, when this, I, like, I understand this is the evolution of policy and considering these hard issues that everyone has to do, I, but it still kills me to think of like how many people are suffering, waiting in line, you know, how many people are in this long two-year line. And they're just dying off right because they're still committing suicide so it's so tragic you know and, and it's a good way that maybe we could emphasize about how like the blood is kind of on your hands you know by the more that you stalemate this thing or or uh, you know sludge through the mud people are still doing what they've always been doing and that's dying these tragic deaths and i the, the frustration is just i couldn't imagine how painful because it's like just they're dangling the carrot kind of right there, you know, and everyone's chasing, <laughs> chasing it. They're like, oh, you can't get it though, but we have it, you know, it's, ugh. and I know they can't fast track something like this. It's a big deal. I get it. But um, I always go into just that thinking of just, man, some people are paying a heavy price in order for them to, to be taking their time on this. I completely agree with you. And this is what I wrote. I wrote this to the Senate and to, uh, the, the well, I can't remember who also wrote. I wrote this to a lot of politicians. Same type of message. Uh, all the murder suicides that are happening. All the how many people are dying to opioids, but they're not doing it accidentally. They're doing it on purpose because they want access to a drug, and it's the and it's on the black market, right? People want Nembutal. People want uh, a lethal dose of morphine, right? If they can't get that, and then we find out that there's this drug flowing in uh from offshore that's 
that'll kill you if you if you sniff two grains of salt worth of it and it's an opioid and it shuts off your pain receptors that sounds like a peaceful pill <laughs> and so and then and that's spreading across canada and it's an opioid it's a tragedy you know it's a, what was the crisis it's a crisis you know it's and it's and it's under the veil of covid-19 currently and who knows how long covid-19 is going to happen but it's still going on um my gov- my provincial government talked about this and uh, they said we can't just keep talking about COVID-19, we got to talk about the other stuff too, because there's other things that are going on. Like we can't just constantly have 100% of our, our front and center loaded with COVID-19. Um, and then of course you got people who are jumping in front of trains and this and that. And I saw, you know, and I see conflicting information. I see, I saw this art, I saw this statistic or whatever, suicide rates went down. And I go, oh, okay, that's interesting. And then I, but then I saw another one that was saying that uh, suicide rates are up on people jumping in front of subway trains in Toronto or something like that. And I'm going, okay, well, I don't know. I don't really, I'm not really too fixated on whether or not suicide rates are going up or down. That's still, that's to some extent, not hundred percent relevant to fighting for the right to die. Uh, I do agree with you all that it's, it should be a fundamental human right. I, I think that it should be legally recognized, it should be recognized in the law. You have this right, it's protected and there's, we're safely allowing it. Anyway, what you were saying, Kevin, about the damages that are being done by denying people this right. People talk about the slippery slope. You, you may have heard me say this too, that when they were talking about the projections of the future of all this damage that can happen, from legalizing the right to die, um, that's arguments that are being made against us. The people who are making these arguments also need to consider all of the pain and suffering that's happening right now because there's a legal barrier denying people access to the right to die in a peaceful and painless manner. And so you need to counterbalance that together. It's, it is complicated, but it's, it's something that's worth thinking about. Oh yeah, absolutely. And it's, yeah, I, I totally agree. And it's, it's sad, you know, because people always will, they'll just put whipped whip cream on things that aren't really yummy, right? <laughs> like, they'll proclaim that, hey, we got a death with dignity, though, like, all these problems are solved, like, we fixed this problem. And, you know, they haven't looked into it for a second. And they don't realize, like, four, there's 4.3 million people in Oregon, and only 200 people per year take the death with dignity pill. It's not because people don't want to die. It's because the people, there's so much 99% of people don't have access to it. Um, but we all think, you know, like we've created this law it gives it, it gives you the pill and that's great. But I mean, to, you know, 200 people per year to do it is not that I want people to pass away, but most of these people are dying of a chronic, really painful illness. It's not, <clears throat> it's not philosophical or anything too much, um, but, but so many people deserve it, but. Sorry, yeah, a little side subject. There. Can I ask you guys a question? Yeah, of course. You and Kevin and Danny, you guys met or talked about this subject in some sort of philosophy group or something like that. Is that right? Or how did you guys get into this this topic? Um, geez. I I've been in into it since I'm about 18. I remember I've I had a friend kill himself started the subject i was actually working full-time in a church before i became an atheist and a lot of theists were saying you know you're uh 
uh, you're not, you know, you're, you're a cowardice, you know, to take your own life. And it's the most selfish act ever. And I, it sparked me to think about it all um, forever. And my depression helps fuel that, you know, interest, <laughs> I'll be honest. But me and Danny met a year and a half ago ish or something like that. I don't know where or how, but I think it was in a philosophy yeah. group. Yeah. And we just became friends and about talking about it. Um, yeah. Like yeah. we, we share a similar philosophy. Uh, we actually think that we actually believe that coming into existence is a harm because, you know, I, you did mention David Benatar, right? Mm-hmm. You, I've talked about him. Yeah. Have you, are you familiar with his book? Um, oh, what's it called? Better never to have been. Yes. The better to have never <clears throat> been the harms of coming into existence. I'm not familiar with the book, but I've uh, watched and listened to uh, him talk about this subject. I watched it or I listened to a debate between him and uh, what's that guy, Jordan Peterson. You know, Jordan Peterson. Yeah. I, I listened to a debate between him and Jordan Peterson on this. And I was like, oh, this is kind of interesting. Let's listen to that. So I uh, and uh, the good thing about that is that they dumbed down the argument a lot for me, for, for the general audience, because the picture is just audio. The picture shows a, a, a quadrant system and it's it's the, the premise. I guess it's like a simplified version of David Benedict's argument about uh suffering in life and not suffering and and not life and how the equation shows that it's it's better to not exist in in that quadrant system so yeah i know a little bit about it not not super 100 but i know a bit about it that's called the uh the benatar is asymmetry and um yeah so kevin and danny and i are what are called antinatalists and so i've been involved in the antinatalist community for 10 years and danny and kevin for five, six, something like that. So we, we kind of all know each other through that. I think it's safe to say. Um, so, you know, so if you're, if you're very interested in the, in, the, in the ethics of procreation, I think it brings into focus uh, pretty immediately the ethics of, of, of being able to get out of, you know, once you're here. Um, so it's, they're very related topics in, mm-hmm. in a lot of ways. You know, if you believe people should have the right to die, well, you probably need to examine bringing people into existence in the first place where they're going to come here and be in need of a right to die um and so they just sort of they're they're, they're almost like uh brother sister topics in, mm-hmm. in some respects um yeah has may has made ever used the term human rights to describe their position on the right to die because i think that's a very important word to use uh, I agree with you that it is a human rights issue. Um, when, I don't think that the made legislation talks about this necessarily as a human right. If I, if I, uh, I'd have to pull up the bill and do a con- control left search for human rights on there, but I don't think it's being talked about uh, like that so much on the legislative branch of the government. Uh, but I think we're all aware that this is a human rights issue. Like we know that it is, and they're just, they're not really using that terminology in in the bill. Uh, I think maybe they're hesitant to describe it in that way. Um, 
yeah i i mean i i'm not quite sure like how to how to how to say this but like i agree that it is a human rights issue there's people the new thing that's uh that i'm seeing comments or a comment recently was just like somebody posted i posted something on reddit and somebody said that the, it's it shouldn't be medicalized i also listened to an interview on the uh, peaceful pill podcast or not it wasn't an interview sorry a talk where they were talking about how um they he doesn't think you should be giving the power to doctors to make that decision on your behalf you should be able to make the decision for yourself and uh <clears throat> yeah i agree it's a human rights issue uh and so i've thought about this i thought well is are we am i doing the right thing by uh trying to get us to continue making steps forward on this or should I be going back and going, Kate, okay, we're going in the wrong direction right in the first place. We shouldn't be talking about this in a medical assistance and, and dying kind of way. We should be talking about this in a human rights thing. Um, what I have been doing is I haven't been going back and trying to correct the course into more of a human rights discussion. I've been just sort of kind of interweaving it with my with my critiques of the way we're going currently and, and continuing to go along. So maybe in the future, rather, rather than us like going, okay, crank it back here and let's quit with this whole, the doctors make the decision, the psychologists make the decision and just turn it in this direction. Maybe in the future, we'll, we'll lead over in that direction while continuing to move forward in the direction we're going currently with, with medical assistance and dying law. Uh, I don't know exactly, I can't predict the future, but uh, yeah, human rights needs to get brought into the discussion. I'm trying to do that as well as you are right now with bringing up the question. So it's it's worth talking about that uh, it shouldn't be overly like medicalized uh, as uh, as some people are pointing out. Yeah, I totally agree, especially in the sense of like people should have that right, whether they're suffering or not. If they mm -hmm. could just say, "Hey, I like the idea of." Cause I don't know when this bus is going to crash and it's going to be a really ugly crash for most of us. Well, uh, I don't mind the idea of just kind of, you know, ringing the bell and uh, you know, once I get to a place in life, once I, once I've experienced any, you know, lots of positives, you know, there could be positives or, or goals or passions that you want to complete and projects or whatever. And you get to a place where you've done some things that you feel like you've, you know, reached the end of that or, or, or for whatever reason, it doesn't even matter, but it's about your life and what you want to do with it. But to me, that prevention idea should be enough for um, to get your right passed and get your prescription or whatever, because the idea of that is um, an ever looming fear that all of us face of when is it going to happen and how is it going to happen and how ugly. And that just scares me to death. <laughs> it always has. You know, is this the day I'm going to get, you know, run over by the semi truck drunk driver or not? I don't know, but I surely don't want to go through some things that I've seen so many people go through, kind of like your story about those kids, you know, held captive in their home. Like, it's just tragic. You know, it's avoiding the tragedy is all I'm saying, dodging the bullets and prevention is clearly a good in that regard. Um, and just changing the perception of, people's thoughts about that because they that's our that should be our big mission is 
people think it's you know cowardice and you know selfish and all of these crazy reasons why people commit suicide if they're not chronically ill and the irony is just like but if you bring someone into the conversation that's terminally ill with cancer they got one month to live they're all you know full of cancer or you know instantly people gather empathy they have the ability to gather that empathy for for them in that context so why can't they in in other contexts about just your vision about what life is (laughs) yeah and and the value that you place on your own life it's that's not respected but the suffering are respected in, in a sense that it's a consideration but even all that aside, yeah, you should just as an idea or you don't even have to have it be an excuse. You know what I mean? When you have, apply for your fishing license or whatever, you're not the guy's not saying, why are you getting your fishing license? What it is? What's your goal here? No, he's just yeah. like five bucks, sir. OK, you know, um, anyway, little rant there. Sorry. No, oh, yeah, I, <laughs> I think that you bring up a good point. The whole it's cowardly and whatnot um, sounds like propaganda to me. Oh, it's cowardly. It's, it's you're a weakling or whatever. I, I that happened when I was at a, a job recently uh, and uh, they were talking about something like that. And somebody said that's cowardly. And I go, no, it kind of takes some balls to put a gun up to your head and pull the trigger. That's not cowardly. Uh, that's that's I, it takes some courage to do that. Uh, <laughs> I, it's I think that's just some propaganda to get people to to shame to shame how shameful is that <laughs> it's putting throwing casting shade at people because they put a bullet through that like what's wrong with you don't subscribe to it stop promoting that stuff I, I, anyway uh yeah well that leads me to just question ask a question about what your thoughts are about groups like suicide prevention and, and the way that they kind of twist the the idea of what life means into this kind of insulting condescending thing that if you're suicidal you you need help and you're this like you know troubled little injured rabbit that needs help and you know to me it feels that way um but anyway what is your thoughts about suicide prevention and and general so one of the things that i try to do is i try to entertain the other side of the debate and i try to incorporate it the thoughts and look at it from their point of view because you're not going to grow if your vessel is already full to the cap and there's no room for more information. So you need to empty the vessel, actually fill yourself with the message that they're trying to give to you and then take it in. And then, and that's, and the thing is, here's the thing is one of why we're afraid of doing it because it might change us, but that's the whole freaking point. <laughs> the whole point is to potentially get changed as new information comes towards us. So the argument that you're, you know, a scared little rabbit that needs to be saved or whatever kind of thing. Uh, I, I think that that could be true in some cases. Um, and the thing that, that uh, I would criticize a group like that for now, here's, I should point out to preface this with, I don't really have much experience with an anti-suicide uh, prevention group kind of thing with a suicide prevention group kind of thing. I don't, I haven't really f- experienced with, with, with uh, something like that, with the institution anyway, like that, other than the, the healthcare system. Uh, but um, taking that way, that approach and that perception of people who want to die and then blanket coding that across everybody, that's the problem. I think that there lies the, the, uh, there lies the potential for 
such people to exist for people who want to die but they can be saved or maybe they just don't know what kind of what kind of support they can get i think that those people do exist and i hope that they get the help that they they need to live a good life um so yeah that's i think that I, i think pretty clear on that I can't see why both can't exist at the same time, right? Like people want to fight for different methods of therapy for someone that's struggling and say, Hey, there, here's an option. Try this. This is an option. Try it, try it. You know, and people, or even have that people part of the process of a death of dignity is, is like, Hey, you gotta, you gotta see a therapist first. You know, you're 12, you just broke up with your boyfriend. Like, sorry, you can't like, I understand that side of it. it you know, to say, Hey, we're gonna, you need to take some te- steps towards this and that and getting, uh, treatment and you know someone might because i've had friends that just take you know a tiny dose of prozac and they're just they really feel better they're just like oh my god this is just like the most amazing pill like mm-hmm. so great cool and i'm just saying it, it can't there's no reason it can't there can't be parallels in of, of road there that both are happening at the same time yeah. where do you draw the line at, on on being firm with the person and saying no, you got to wait or going, okay, this person, this person is on the other side of the line. We're not going to make them wait. That's, that's a, that's a tough uh, thing to a tough decision to make. Right. Same thing too, with like an age limit. Right. I think it's, you're not going to find a whole lot of people that, that are going to say if a seven-year-old kid says that they want to die, that would you just give it to them? No questions asked. Uh, So again, you need to draw a line somewhere. I, I mean, if some people go no line at all, some people say, uh, no, I don't want any line at all. And I'm not like that at all. I don't, I'm not like that at all because I, this is like a man, this is really tricky. I'm sure that there's some philosopher out there that has, has crystallized this, these, these thoughts. I, I tried talking about this on YouTube before. I think I deleted the video because it just, it's hard to talk about. It's kind of, hard to talk about but it's, it comes down to this whole natural idea thing maybe maybe that's a good way of bringing it it's like there's this belief that the nature's way of doing things is better than man's way of doing things even though we are just an extension of nature and that the whole concept of natural versus unnatural is just kind of like a, a, a concept almost like a fictional concept that we just create there's no objective measure of what is natural if a guy poops in the woods it's no more or less natural than a bear pooping in the woods um so it when you when we subscribe to this idea of the natural way is better it's almost better to just take your hands off the steering wheel because as soon as you get your hands on the steering wheel, you're mucking up the, the, the natural way. It's not natural anymore. And when I look at legislation, laws, rules, uh, things like that, it's, it's like someone's hands on the steering wheel and they're, and they're specifically turning it. And the tough thing is that we're all on this bus together and uh, someone at the, someone's at the steering wheel and not everybody's going to want to go make the right turn at, at that next junction um and so we can't please everybody there's going to be a couple people in there that are going to say what you're denying a seven-year-old kid from accessing it you're that's not right you shouldn't be doing that and it's going to be like hey well if we go with what you're saying and we make a left-hand turn instead of a right-hand turn then all these people are going to be pissed off so no matter which way you cut it you're going to be pissing off some people uh so i think that uh there needs to be a line 
drawn somewhere where that line is. I don't necessarily know the best place to put it because I don't know how, but I know that I'm sure that some people are going to get pissed off with, with this line. Uh, and if they have their way and there's no line, well, then other people are getting pissed off. So yeah, that's. Can I give you an example that. of a line? Sure. And, and ask you where, where, where you would draw this line. This is just fun. We're just having fun here. Okay. Um, <laughs> uh, you made a video about the homeless and it was really powerful, honestly. And, um, and describing how these people should have an option. Um, so I, it was a great video. I recommend people to check it out. Um, where would the line be for that? If someone was homeless sleeping, you know, in five degree weather in the winter, they've clearly been through hell for years or whatever, and they, they want to apply for it. What, and they're an adult, whatever they're 50, whatever, where is that? Where would the line be? How, I guess, how instant would you, would you say it's okay for them to um, have access, I guess? Cause I assume you would say so in your video, I believe, but <clears throat> Okay, I'm gonna. I'll throw. Uh, I'll throw three months out there. A three month waiting period is what I was thinking when I very first was trying to come up with how would I visualize uh, a law around this. And this is back in 2008. Um, I mean, of course, people, some people are not gonna like that idea. But the thing is, if you're 50 something years old. And you've been homeless for like a decade or something like that. What is, what's three months to you? It's a, it's a drop in the ocean. If you've been 10 years homeless, three months is not going to be that big of a long wait. I, I don't think now if something drastically changed in, in like the last week or something like that, and it, then that's the catalyst for you deciding that you want to die, then that's different. But if it's just general malaise, over the state of your existence and you project that the next 10, 20 years, 30 years is going to be very much the same as the previous 10 years. Wait, going through three more months rather than 10, 20 more years until your natural death as you're projecting it to happen uh, is, I think, uh, is much better. Uh, is it as good as uh, getting it right now? Maybe not. But when you're weighing the scales here, it's not that much worse if you're looking at the next 10, 20, 30 years or however long the person is going to live. So I don't know. I would say like a three-month waiting period, I think that's fine. It gives ample time to, to think about it and, and, to, and to go, okay, this isn't just a snap second decision. And for the government or whoever, for society in general, I don't want to say the government. I don't want to put like, oh, there's this barrier between us and them and they're no, we're all responsible for helping each other out. We work together as a society to take care of our, our vulnerable people and, and people who are worse off than us. If a person comes forth and says, I want access to a peaceful and painless death, I've had enough. Um, or something just bad happened to me right now. Um, I think that as long as we have give ourselves enough time to help that person, to give what we can to help that person, and, and try to take care of them. <clears throat> uh, I, I think that that's good. I think a three month waiting period is good. Maybe one month is better. Maybe six months is better. I don't know. But if I was just a spitball, I would say three months. That's my spitball number. I'm more of a uh, one week waiting period kind of guy. <laughs> I mean, you know, the societal default is life is intrinsically good. 
and not being alive is intrinsically bad when that that's an opinion it's like what harm could actually come to a corpse you know if you if you make like a if you make a split second decision you know i want nimbital and it's given to you and you drink it you're dead right you're you're at where you're going to be in like 30 years it's like what what are they going to miss out on what you know missing out is something that only pertains to sentient life mm-hmm. so they're not going to miss they're you know they're not going to miss out on being harmed they're not going to they're not going to be able to have orgasms but like i said you know they won't need them yeah other problems will be solved so it's like you know that's the thing i have about like all current right to die laws the problems is that you know it just life just keeps being imposed on people who clearly want to die and yeah it's like it's really frustrating to me i mean i'm i guess i'm pretty radical in this position so a waiting period it's like why even have it <laughs> i i see where you're coming from to some extent like it's uh like the whole notion of just like good versus bad right like it's it's sort of like an invention in our head uh and really everything is just, everything's meaningless right it's i mean who knows it could just be the heat death of the universe in the long run and all, all our petty squabbles are nothing but that uh, in the grand scheme of things. Uh, if a person chooses to die, it's not going to make that big of a difference in the grand scheme of the universe. They're just dust to dust, ashes to ashes, right? Um, so I, I kind of get where you're coming from on that. Um, yeah, I don't know. There's no, there's no easy way to reconcile, to bridge, bridge that gap on that perspective. Uh, if I were to try, I would say that part of the reason why we behave this way in, in terms of s- sanctifying life and, and putting it on a pedestal is that it's probably hard coded into our genes to, you know, to want to live, to want to have sex to, and to be, and to want to help each other. Um, and I think that's been a, a, a positive evolutionary trait to help the human species spread like a virus across the whole planet. And, uh, you know, we want to, it's, it's a selfish thing. It is selfish and it's, it's built into us. Like earlier in, at the, if we're near the beginning of our talk, I admitted, I said, selfishly, uh, I, I wouldn't be as impacted if, uh, if they put a three month waiting period in and just like it's, it's not good or bad, whether a person turns into a corpse, it's not good or bad to be selfish. It's just, you know, built into, into our bodies um so yeah i i i don't know exactly how to bridge the gap but it's it it definitely gets you thinking about things in a different way for sure i mean if i can just throw in my two cents i mean it's even though i am in favor of some kind of waiting period it almost is like the wrong question to be asking or it's the wrong kind of conundrum like to put ourselves in because ultimately what's needed might be a little bit on the impossible side, but it shouldn't be, it shouldn't be impossible. It needs to be a highly individualized, thoughtful process, you know, for each individual person where the, where the circumstances are weighed and um, there's certainly access to whatever the person might need 
but there's always that point where you get what you want if this is what you really want Mm -hmm. and um and so you know it's almost like yes i'm in favor of a waiting period but i'm kind of not in favor of any hard and fast amount of time being on the books that a person would need to go through you know what i mean it it it, 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 that process of 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 analyzing that the circumstance has to come first um and it's i don't know what that would look like though because who gets to be the judge yeah or the the jury in that in that circumstance and i don't know really know what that would look like and and i certainly can see how that would be open to a lot of failure and to a lot of the person never getting what they want or waiting too long or maybe even not enough time to where they feel a bit uh pressured to do it faster who knows what could go wrong in those it's very sensitive you you just triggered like a a philosophical this is deep philosophy here but when you talked about who gets to be the judge who gets to decide uh it just triggered in my mind all delusions of control and the perception of freedom like does freedom even really exist or are we just all on a clock are we just all in a hard deterministic existence uh you know and, and is if that's the case then even even trying to entertain an evaluation of who gets to decide is a delusion. It's like, well, nobody is. We're all just on a hard track. But then you know, if you want to subscribe to the notion that free will does exist, then it matters. That's when it matters. If you believe that free will exists, then it's worth asking who gets to judge because then it, you actually could have free will in that, in that state of existence. And that's a super deep rabbit hole. I know it's a super deep rabbit hole, but it's like, that's what triggered in my mind when you talked about uh, who gets to decide how long a person has to wait. Well, somebody will end up being that person. I mean, that's, that's definitely the system that we're immersed in, whether, whether the universe is deterministic or not, which I think it is, but um, you know, the, and, and, and maybe that, you know, maybe that question about freedom does sort of mean that it should, you know, it should, we should exit the, the whole uh, um, worrying about what, you know, leaving it in the hands of doctors and maybe the more DIY, you know, mode of, of right to die is the right, the right answer. Maybe it should just be, you know, the thing that you just go buy off the, I mean, I think it, I think it should be both. So it, it gets a little I agree. I think, yeah. I think both is actually really good because there's some people that are going to like coming back out of the realm of deep philosophy rabbit hole back into the realm of reality of like, not reality, but just more like kind of grounded, yeah. easier to talk about stuff. I think that uh, a DIY approach e- existing alongside an institutional approach would, would probably be a great way to satisfy more people because we've got, yeah. we've got this bus and we've got somebody at the front driving the bus and it would be great to have a whole other bus next to that one and then mm-hmm. when we get to that junction and this one turns right and that people want to go left there's one that goes left and then it can branch yeah. off um this is something that you know uh, peaceful I, I i always forget his name uh philip nitschke philip nitschke philip nitschke like he was talking about in his podcast uh saying uh he's supporting the diy stuff and then yeah. we saw i saw on reddit and it spread around the images of the 3d printed uh capsule uh, mm-hmm. that's that uh, they designed where you get inside the capsule you get uh just in case nobody knows you it, it puts a gas in there and it's like an inert gas 
you're not going to panic. It's not going to trigger a panic response. If you panic, it's, a, it's something else. It's not going to be an automatic uh, thing. That's when carbon dioxide levels rise in your body recognizes the increasing level of carbon dioxide and it triggers a panic response. And that's why it's almost impossible to put a bag over your head and, and to suffocate yourself that way. You will just innately just like rip, rip it off. It's built, it's like hard coded into your DNA to react that way. Um, so this bypasses that by putting nitrogen into your system instead. And nitrogen already exists in our atmosphere. Your body's not gonna freak out and you can die from lack of oxygen. It's, a fix, it's like a, I'm not sure if you call it asphyxiation, but you'll, you'll fall asleep. You might feel some things uh, a little bit before you go, but it's probably one of the most peaceful and painless ways to go. So this DIY print it, print it yourself, 3D printed thing, uh, it's, it's I, I don't know much about it, but it's, it's, uh, it seems like it's a cheap option. It's uh, something, maybe not necessarily cheap, but it's accessible to people. And it also, the thing about the DIY approach is it takes the power out of the government's hands and it puts it into the people's hands because I can download this document, get a 3D printer, make this thing myself and say, hey, screw you, government. You don't have control over me. I decide for myself when I get to go. I'm not going through any of your processes. I'm not even going to tell you that I'm doing this. The only day you find out is when you find me in my capsule uh, after I'm gone. And I think that's actually pretty cool. I think that it's good to have DIY options. Um, the only thing I'm concerned about though is like nefarious use of it, which I think is kind of fair. Like you don't want to have people make something like this and then they stick their baby in it. Or I mean, like that's kind of, that'd be kind of messed up, but it's, so I, I do think it's good to have a DIY approach for people because then it gives the option of having a branch there, but uh, you do have to be careful with these things. You don't want to have a, uh, that like what's collateral damage, right? That's that's one thing that I, I think about a lot is like trying to prevent collateral damage. Anyway, there's that's my uh, response to what you said there. Yeah, no, 100%. And I, um, I just want to conclude by saying that I think there are consumers for both. You know, I, I, even in a perfect made system, I think you would be getting, there is still a need for DIY methods. So I would hope that um, both of those schools of thought, if, if, for lack of a better way of saying it, um, can develop alongside each other in some kind of way. Yeah. Maybe it will. You know, with yeah. cryptocurrencies being a big thing now, uh, perhaps people can go to a cryptocurrency market where you can't, the government can't track what you're purchasing and you just buy the stuff. I mean, that's something that I was looking into doing back in 2012, I think it was, <coughs> excuse me. Uh, I, uh, you know, I was like, oh, I want out, I'm done. I want, I want to get out of this. And so the thing was, I was like, how the heck am I going to get my hands on some Nebutal? It's like, I don't want to have to travel to Tijuana, Mexico to do it, even though I tried doing that later on in life. Before I went there, that's a whole nother story. Before I went there, I tried to get it ordered and I couldn't find any way to order Nebutal. And, uh, you know, you can't just go online and do it. And I was, and I'm not like networked hooked into just in case any freaking person, like, let's, 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 uh, put this guy on an electric chair. <laughs> no, no, I don't, I'm not networked into anything like that. So I'm like, how do I, how do I get this stuff? So I found out about the deep web or the dark web or whatever. And I got into it through the onion network and Tor network or whatever. There's like, there's like two different layers. You got to go through two layers to get in. And I got in. And then I went to Silk Road, 
which was a, a website that people would use to buy and sell drugs and illicit goods and stuff like that or whatever. So I went to Silk Road and I asked, hey, I want to get some Nembutal. Uh, how can I get this? And then I got a couple of responses like, why do you want Nembutal? What are you doing, Nembutal? It's like, so I can take my own life. And then the immediate reaction I got from people was like, no, we're not going to sell you whatever. I'm like, what the hell? I'm like, what? This is just a place to get high. And it's like, I don't want to just get high and I don't want to come here to hire a hitman. I'm here to buy Nembutal. And then somebody private messaged me and he said, hey, I live in China. And uh, he wasn't using his real name, obviously, he or she, whatever, whoever this person was. They go, I can send it to you. Um, but, uh, I want you to know that if it gets intercepted at uh, Canadian at the border, uh, it can, it, that can happen just so you know. So, uh, it'll cost you $500 and you can send it to me through Western union. <coughs> so I was like, yeah, I'll do this. So I, I, uh, I got to the point where I was at the Western union and they have these warning labels all over the place it's like warning make sure you fully trust the person you're sending the money to and they've had issues with people getting scammed and i was like you know i i don't want to just like throw away 500 bucks at this guy and it maybe changed my mind i was like i don't know if i can trust this guy it's just some random dude i met through silk road who lives in how there's no way for me to hold him accountable and he said to me that it can get intercepted at the canadian customs office so i bailed on sending in the money and I didn't do it. And then I went to Tijuana to try and buy it there from a veterinarian clinic. And I got denied. They were like, no, they caught, they caught on back, back then 2008, they were writing in the peaceful pill handbook that people were traveling to Tijuana, Mexico. And I think people were also traveling to Chile to get Nembutal because those are two countries that are rich enough for people to own pets, but loose enough in their legislation to allow foreigners to buy this stuff, but they caught on and, uh, the vet veterinarian said to me, he can get in a lot of trouble if I get caught taking this stuff back across the border. And uh, that, uh, he, and the thing is, he knew I was lying. I told him it was for a dog. I was like, it's for my dog. And he goes, uh, he's like, well, if, when you take it back, bring your dog in, he's bring your dog to me and I'll give it to your dog. Um, but yeah, I, I definitely see the draw on wanting to take the power away from some external decision maker and make the decision for ourselves. And that's, that's, I speculate that this is one of the reasons why we have an opioid crisis is that it's a way for people to die in a peaceful and painless manner uh, with a drug that they can get from the black market and the government's not stop, able to stop them. I think that that's one of the reasons people use that. For sure. I think you're probably 100% right about that. That's interesting to know, though. Yeah, of all the, the the attempts you you've you know the these roads people go down are pretty scary though when they're trying to find ways to exit life and the dangers they yeah. can come across trying to get there. <laughs> you know, scammers is a, is a maybe a lightweight problem that some people might have. Some people might end up on a dark alleyway somewhere with the, you know what I mean? Yeah. That could have <laughs> happened. in when I went to Mexico, it could have happened to me. I went down there with, and I was in such a vulnerable state. Yeah. Like I was too. in debt. I was desperate. I had a fair amount of cash on me and I didn't speak the language. And I, I, when I was heading down there, I was at the train station and uh, I saw a, a random 
uh, Spanish dude, Mexican dude. And I came up to him and then I said, Hey, do you know how to speak Spanish? He goes, yeah. And I'm like, do you have some free time for the next hour? And he's like, uh, maybe <laughs> like I go, okay, I'll give you some cash. If you can just translate for me, here's a hundred bucks or something like oh, that. And he was gotcha. like, and it's like, ka-ching, 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 ching. <laughs> he takes me down. He goes, he goes, oh, just one sec. I got to stop at the music store to buy a guitar for my relative or whatever. And he started talking about his family. Like, I don't give a shit. Just take me to the vet, man. Like, but see, it's just like, it's just like drugs or something, right? Like marijuana, right? The second it's legalized, all of the dark webs all the black market stuff all the crime all the gangsters and mafia people involved or whoever just disappears it's like a fart in the wind it's gone you know and that's just the same thing with legalization with this you know i mean obviously it's going to be controlled to a degree of like yeah it's not next to the bubble gum at the grocery store but Mm -hmm. like it eliminates all of these desperate attempts that people make trying to do this you know and and that alone is, is a great argument on our side, I think, you know, is to, I mean, even, it, but no, I mean, I, I, I like the idea though, too, of having this neutral party that is within the law, but they're still doing um, things to, to have it the best way possible that we can, we can have it other than controlled substances or something, you know, like the narco thing or Sarco, sorry, Sarco thing or, um you know or like switzerland if you're rich enough you know you can go there and you get it done it's all legal and you know but it's if there was more of those you know if there was more um uh, supply you know because we know that yes. the, the demands there so we, we should just be building more um facilities there's a demand for carfentanil if there wasn't a demand for it then it wouldn't be all over the place that and so there's a need and, you know, if we want to live in a free market capitalistic society, uh, who's going to service that need? Same thing with the prohibition of alcohol, right? There was a demand for alcohol. There was a need for it. And so that's why we had bootleggers and people producing it secretly on these islands and, and whatnot. Well, uh, Anton, so I've long believed, and I'm sure I can speak for Kevin and Danny, that like there really needs to be some kind of revolution in how we do this activism. Like there needs to be more of this, you know, there needs to be more people on the street talking about it too. Like Kevin is doing some of that stuff, you know, uh, lately, which is awesome. Um, There just needs to be more activity. There needs to be more young people involved. Um, There needs to be more art around this, perhaps. It needs to become more part of our narratives uh, Mm -hmm. that we write, that we, you know, put on Netflix and various places, you know, it, it needs to go really far as far as like how, how much this becomes um, a part of the culture. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I'm just curious if you, what ideas maybe you have about, you know, how this can move forward into the future. Uh, you know, we've talked a lot of, about how it can move forward legally, but in, as far as how it can move forward in terms of um, uh, how, the, how just the regular person fights for this. Uh, how There's, it yeah go ahead go for it tons of ways there's tons of ways and it's happening it, it's happening and i don't think it's all doom and gloom just today on reddit let me find this and and here's the crazy part this is a this is a this is a reddit that's a screenshot of a tweet so on twitter this person posted this they go i uh, no uh i don't know if you can read that is that backwards on your screen no it's good no it looks good yeah 
No suicide. I can't read it. It's backwards on my screen. Can one of you? No. no. Su- Sorry. No Sorry. suicidal shit or whatever. But sometimes I look at the world and I just don't feel like participating. Nice. Yeah. And then look at how many retweets that has. Yeah, it's definitely a sentiment that <clears throat> you find all over the place now. Yeah, it's it's become people are becoming more comfortable bringing this up. And then so that was retweet, re, reposted on Reddit. And at the time when I saw it, it had 18,000 upvotes. Um, and who knows how many people downvoted it, right? Uh, so it's it's happening. The change is happening. We are a part of the change. We're a part of this wave. I, I think that there's definitely a need for it. And we're I think people are, I think it's sort of uh, naturally happening. I think it kind of, it kind of is. Um, Anyway, what can people do? Like in terms of a practical sense, talking about it's wonderful. Raising social awareness is the beginning of social change. Making it okay to talk about it. You know, like it wasn't, remember, you know how people have to come out of the closet, right? Like, because they had to hide it, you know? And, and I heard Kevin talk about this as well. Like whole, like coming out of closet, talking about this. You mentioned this, I think your very first podcast. And uh this is a good thing to do. Watching these things, entertaining thoughts of it, every little tiny thing counts towards this. Um, and then on the on the hard side of things is gathering money to hire a team of lawyers to sue the government. That's and that works as we've seen here in Canada. It works and it can work. It, it, those court cases, there's been multiple court cases that have succeeded, and it has forced the government's hand. Um, yeah, yeah, very well. Can I actually ask one follow-up question to what yeah. you just said? I, I don't mean to take time away from Kevin and Danny. You guys are okay with, 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 with. Uh, so just about that, that uh, about doing some suing. So one thing I find really confusing in regards to the wording around who can or can't access made in Canada uh, has a lot to do with like with with, dis- with disability in general. Mm-hmm. So this is maybe I maybe this is just me being confused. But in in the U.S. at least there are mental health conditions that are indeed considered to be disabilities. Like for instance, you can have schizophrenia here in America and be considered disabled, be on SSI, get disability, you know, be recognized as a, as a person with a disability who can't work. And, and that's a whole status that's, you know, protected. Um, and so does Canada have a similar system in place that recognizes disability um, specifically around you know, these kinds of conditions, just yeah, using schizophrenia as just an example. Mm-hmm. It just seems that like when many of the senators or people that you've mentioned in your videos say the term disabled um, or refer to people that have disabilities, they only seem to mean those with physical disabilities. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, without perhaps saying so explicitly. So some mental illnesses are already acknowledged as so wait so 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 are certain mental illnesses already considered disabilities in Canada and are those conditions not being unlawfully negated under these rules and would that not be a ground for a lawsuit because it kind of sounds like they're saying well you are disabled but it's a mental health disability so you're not really disabled yeah so and that's that's taking away what should be a protected status anyway. There shouldn't, there shouldn't be any, there's legally shouldn't be any grounds to question that and make that separation whatsoever. You make a really good point. And I think maybe there's room there for someone to sue the government on that. 
Um, I'm glad that you said that. I, that's an, I never really thought about that before, but you're right. Uh, can a uh, mental illness be considered a form of a disability? I mean, and why the distinction yeah. between physical, physical disability versus non-physical? Your brain is just as real as your liver is. So it's, you know, it is physical in a sense that mental disability or, or mental illness is a physical illness. So there, the distinction is imaginary uh, to some extent, or at least the distinction is vague. So where do you draw the line? Uh, is Alzheimer's a disability? You know, uh, so I think you bring up a really good point. And so maybe I'll talk about this uh, in a video in the future. And part of what I'm doing when I talk about stuff is I'm sort of like hoping that who, somebody who has enough money to hire a lawyer or somebody who is a lawyer catches wind of some of this stuff and then takes it to court. Um, one of the things I prepared uh, in the background here before I started chatting with y'all is uh, this guy named Joey Arve. Uh, he was uh, he was a lawyer here in Canada and he fought in the uh, in the case. Uh, of the Carter versus Canada case, the one that sparked this whole made legislation from being in, into being created in the first place. <clears throat> and uh, I've only seen the pictures of him like this, right? Like, you know, videos of him like this, pictures of him like this. And when they, uh, <clears throat> when Bill C-7 came out and it said that people with mental illness are denied access to the right to die or, or, or access to made, um, some, a TV news network, uh, interviewed him and, uh, he came in, he was on a wheelchair as I had no idea the whole time the guy's been in a wheelchair and I, I didn't know. And so he, uh, was included in this, uh, in the new legislation, cause he has an obvious disability. He's in a wheelchair. And then they asked him about his thoughts on the exclusion of people with mental illness and then he just flat out said, he's, it's unconstitutional. It's discriminatory because someone's going to sue the government over this. And then the reporter goes, will you sue the government over this? And then they hand the microphone back to him. And he's like, I might, maybe, maybe. Uh, but you could tell that he's like so burnt out on this. Yeah, <laughs> on I, can, that I can understand. Yeah, he, 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 he's an older guy and he, he's dead now. I don't know what happened, oh, but he's okay. he's not around. So there was that he was one of the i was like oh i hope he does i hope he does and then i found out he yeah. died i was like ah he's not around to so hopefully somebody does but uh i like knowing that a guy who is a lawyer who has saved the government in the past multiple times has succeeded in his cases yeah said himself someone's gonna do this and he even said he might do it as well and that's another piece of evidence to support that this is possible and and it, it, hopefully it will happen i think it will if we continue pushing for it I, I let's listen in my limited understanding of, of uh, the differences between American and Canadian law. I mean, if disabled people already have similar protections as they do in America, then yeah, it's a lawsuit waiting to happen. This is clear discrimination. Mm -hmm. This is making people who already should have the right under the language of, of made uh, to jump through hoops. I mean, it's disgusting it's, so it's yeah. discriminatory yeah and what's happening too kind of funny enough is that <clears throat> people who are disabled are arguing that it's discriminatory against them 
yes. to right. give them access to made. And I'm like, you guys have it all backwards. I'm, yeah. I'm able-bodied and I want this right. And you're saying it's just, it's, if anything, it's the opposite of ableist. It's like, it's, right. so they're saying it's discriminatory against them. And so I've, I wrote to the government and I said to them, I go, you know, if you just legalize this for, for even for people like me, able-bodied people, they wouldn't have a leg to stand on and say that it's, it's discriminatory against them. So, uh, <clears throat> and the funny thing too is, and I mentioned this in a previous video is that this person said the disabled community, the disabled community is against this. And I, here I am with evidence of a guy in a wheelchair who fought for this right in the first place, the disabled community, it's not like every disabled person is on board with, with fighting against exactly. this. Yeah. You had disabled people fighting for this right. And yeah, I, I, I don't know. I, I'm, I'm a little leery about giving credence to, to the, uh, the institutions that are saying that the disabled communities against this it's uh, it, it's it's like they're trying to make themselves sound bigger than they actually are um yeah anyway yeah thank you for that excellent you're welcome yeah wonderful answer uh i had no idea that they canada did not consider mental illness a disability so I, i'm pretty surprised I, I i gotta interject there i don't know if that's what's if that's the case uh it could be that if you have a mental illness it's considered a disability i don't know uh much about that to be honest so it could be that it is uh but it it doesn't seem like that's the case when it comes to this this right so i'm i, I wouldn't i wouldn't jump in and say that it's not considered a disability just yet i don't know if that's if that's exactly what's like the legal definition or whatnot anyway yeah awesome well that's great stuff guys thanks that was that was really great chat there that i had nothing to do with that was the best part of it no i'm just kidding i mean i don't really think is there a question you have danny on your list that you want to ask i don't think you've asked all i mean all of yours have you i don't want you to miss out or anything I'll throw in a fun one. Um, I know this is a serious conversation. Uh, excluding religious ones, because we all know where they stand <laughs> on the anti-right to die thing. What are some of the most absurd anti-right to die arguments that you've heard others make? So I'm really glad you asked this. So I, I was just saying to Amanda that I need to make a new video talking about this one argument that keeps coming up. It's kind of annoying to me, but um, it's that uh, it's like the technically nobody stopping you thing. Um, and so, yeah, if people keep bringing this up, you have the right to die. Technically, nobody can stop you from dying. It's like technically we don't have the technology to give you a pill and turn you immortal. Not yet, anyways. Can you imagine the world where you could do that? How many people would, would you be forcing people to be immortal? Would you would it be an option? I don't know. But <clears throat> so that argument, technically, nobody's stopping you. And so, in other words, what why bother fighting for the right to die if it already exists? The right already exists. There's no need to fight for it. Um, <clears throat> well, we've got legislation in place. 
that acts as a legal barrier that blocks people from accessing it in a humane and peaceful, painless way. So I would describe it as like being in a, a, a hotel room on the fifth floor of some building and you say, I want to leave the room. And then there's somebody in there with you and they go and they lock the door and they block the exit and they say, no, I'm not going to let you pass me. And you go, I just let me out the door, man, get out of the way. And, and they don't. And then you say, okay, you're forcing me to stay in this room. And then they say, well, there's a window right there. So technically I'm not forcing you to stay because if you really wanted to leave the room, you could just jump out the window. So I guess you don't really want to leave the room, do you? That's what, go ahead, go ahead. Well, sir, you know, that, I mean, that's a perfect example. And it reminds me of like the anti-abortionist, you know, it's a tantamount to somebody who's anti-abortion and say, well, technically nobody's stopping you. You have a flight of stairs, you have coat hangers, you know what I mean? So. It's, it's, that's, yeah. <laughs> really sick logic. Yeah excellent metaphor yeah yeah it is really good and, and it's the problem is too is just that i keep going back to perceptions but it's true like they, there's the death with dignity exists in our you know <clears throat> let's say in a state where this conversation is happening it's in the back of their mind where they're like oh well it's death with dignity like so you already have a peaceful exit if you got if you're terminal and things are really you know hard on you you have that option but it's like they don't and they're still but they they're minimized they're they're just it's i think of one of their rationalizations for forcing you to jump out that window and just being like well i mean you don't have cancer or terminal illness so somehow we get to dictate dictate how much suffering is enough for you you know what your threshold is for pain and um that's it's just an insulting con condescending attitude even if it's unintentional maybe that's subconsciously kind of just what's happening you know and for us to point it out and stick it in their face and say, no, this is what you're doing. You're, you're the, you know, you're the warden here, not me, uh, is important for us to do. Yeah, exactly. And to uh, uh, Anton's point, you know, uh, the you really don't want the right, you don't really want to die argument is it's even more absurd because <clears throat> all these horrible methods that people use you know it's not comfortable you know we got very fragile nervous systems and that keeps people alive because i mean a lot of people alive a lot of people you know don't want to have to resort to putting a noose around their neck or something mm -hmm. like that, something painful mm -hmm. it's a sucky way to die absolutely you know we want to prevent all the shotgun deaths, the hangings and, and all the, you know, gruesome deaths as possible. And the slippery slope is not having the right to die because, you know, more people will continue to end their lives. And, you know, I mean, there's people who are willing to light themselves on fire to do yeah. it. <clears throat> just really sad so i i just wanted to quickly say that i really did love your video about the slippery slope not just because you brought to life this david benatar paper which is like a little bit on the obscure side you know david benatar's views on uh coming into existence are far more well known but his views on the right to die are not 
there's not that much content out there about it. Um, and it's an excellent paper. Um, I just wanted to say that. I mean, I think, you know, it, so long as uh, Kevin and Danny agree, I think we should maybe put a link to that, you know, in the, in the description, um, because I'm sure people would appreciate having, you know, greater access to it. So thank you for, you know, shining a light on that. Oh, you're welcome. Thank you for showing appreciation for it. I, I'm glad. I need that kind of uh, feedback to know which values to keep. Because I, I produce a lot of videos that never see the light of day. And then even a lot of those that do see the light of day get deleted after a while. I'll go back and I'm like, eh, I don't want to eh, delete that. So. Yeah, it's, it's hard. It's, it's, I mean, it's hard when you're a content producer that produces a lot of controversial material. And the three of us are content producers that produce <laughs> a lot of controversial material. And, uh, you know, sometimes that material does bite you back a little bit. Uh, yeah. It, you know, and sometimes it's worth it. And sometimes maybe not, <laughs> you know, so I, I totally understand um, that it's concern. It's tough here too. Cause like, like I said, I live in like the Texas of Canada. And yeah. so if I'm, I'm at work or something like that, and somebody asks me, you know, what I do in my free time or, so, you know, whatever, I, I can't really, I don't want to give specific details because I'm worried about uh, it impacting my employment. Sure. So it's, sure. Uh, it's, I hope that that's changes. That's something that I think we are do just right now. I was talking about this right now. We are rolling out the red carpet to allow people to talk about this stuff without having to worry about getting fired or getting some reprimanded in some way for bringing up a taboo subject. Uh, it's, we're fighting for that and we're taking a slight risk in talking about it. And it's good that we do this. There needs to be more people like us doing this. hundred percent. I mean, we, we talk about it all the time. There are people all over the world in desperate situations uh, in, 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 in really, you know, horrific political situations, de desperate to have this conversation. And that does put, um, I don't want to call it pressure because it's a, it's a, it's an honor and it's, it's a, it's a pleasure for me, honestly, to be able to do it. But I'm just saying it does put, um, we, we, we have to make the effort to have mm -hmm. this conversation as much as we can. All of these, you know, very important ethical conversations that are so overlooked because hopefully, you know, if we can, now, hopefully it means that they can later. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Totally agree. It's, it's kind of just like, I don't know. It's, it's so weird how it's, this is, even though it's legal in some States or whatever, it's just, you literally can't talk about it almost anywhere. <laughs> and in a way, because it always, people can always come up to some weird assumption that this is a cry for help or you're saying you want to die or whatever. And it's just like, no, I'm interested in the subject. I'm interested. I'm interested in preventing another million people to die a horrific death this year. And mm -hmm. you, you should be too, <laughs> you know, you should be too. We all should. I mean, if we, if we treated all uh, this is on the same lines as we do identity politics or any kind of like modern issues of today. And it was on the front line of every sort of cultural, you know, and, and like influence, it, you know, shit would get done quick. I, I would think I would hope, I don't, I don't mm -hmm. know. <laughs> no. but 
yeah i mean it's great just to have these conversations and these <clears throat> ideas that we're all talking about and agreeing on and that's it but yeah that's my point <laughs> that sounds good it's been very validating to watch your youtube videos and to listen to the three of you talk it's good to get that sense of validation as another content creator talking about this stuff because now i don't feel so alone <laughs> not so alone i feel like okay there's some what? other people doing yeah. this and it's it's a uh, it, that validation is really uh, helpful it, it is yeah, and it's I bet there's people that are feeling just utterly completely alone and 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 wish they had some sort of source of other like-minded people just to hear, not even talk to, but even just like a podcast like this, like while they're driving or running or whatever, being like, "Oh, okay, like I'm not so crazy." It makes exactly. people feel Exactly. Yeah, you they you feel less crazy because when you have a culture coming to you about every time you bring this up, you're crazy or you yeah. have issues or what's the problem with you you start to maybe believe that or it yes. is it is me am i thinking crazy is this actually crazy to think about not wanting to participate in this game that's gaslighting yeah completely Absolutely. your microphone's muted amanda oh I, i'm sorry i just wanted to say exactly <laughs> just say, agree exactly you're saying something, Danny? I think. Oh, I said exactly. I think. And oh, they both. <laughs> <laughs> we're all we're all in agreement. <laughs> okay. I'm so glad that we can, you know, um, help you not feel so alone, and so many other people too, because there's a lot of people out there thinking, "Well, I'm the only one," you know. As in in other countries. Uh, yeah, I'm in the middle of writing actually two letters. Another letter is going to address the fact that over 2 billion people live in countries where attempting suicide will get you thrown in prison. So that's another issue. These people cannot speak up about the right to die like we can. So in a way, we are privileged uh, that you know we're not under threat as long as, you know, I mean, there's stuff that I guess we could say that would uh, get YouTube after us or something. Yeah, <clears throat> that's the thing, too, with the there's a right to die uh, subreddit on Reddit. And you, you can't talk about uh, methods. You can't, you know, share information on how people can DIY. Um, so they got, that's why you got to turn to the peaceful pill. Uh, those guys are helping people with the DIY stuff. That's a perfect thing to change. What that what we're doing is so important. It's just like for so many other people to stand up and talk about how silly these other people are being and and the, how shallow their lip service of concern it really is. And they want to force other people to live for their own, like because they don't like the idea. You know, these they don't like the just because they're not comfortable with the way they feel about the idea of someone doing some awful, you know, death. It's they, they do all these things to prohibit people. And like, no, we should stand up and be like, no, it's okay. It's, it's okay. That think thoughts. <laughs> That's really all we're talking about here. Mm -hmm. They don't want to have a conversation with you. They want to shut you up. 
Yeah, I think that there's like multiple types of people inside of that umbrella, though. Like there's like people who are driven to shut down the conversation. And then I think that to some extent, like if if uh, if uh, I get a message on Reddit or something or YouTube sends a letter saying something like that, I think to some extent they're trying to cover their ass so they don't get sued. Um, and I would do the same thing. I mean, if you're a big company, you don't want to get sued. Uh, so I. I think there's a little bit of just complying with with the law to just like how we're not going to we're not spelling out you know xyz this is where you go to get this and that kind of thing we you know it's just a part of the reality we live in we just we can't really do that but yeah there are people who want to just shut down the dialogue um and then there's people who rally to it i think it's just the path of least resistance if you're surrounded by people that are anti-choice to this extent you know um, you know, like if you're in a biker's gang, you're not going to say, Hey, why don't we change the blue bandanas instead of red bandanas You get your ass beat. So you, if, if that's some, I guess, uh, it perpetuates itself inside certain groups. Um, but that those groups, I think are the minority, the extremists groups that are against this, right? Like against even talking about it they exist in a, in a grander pocket of society, in a grander scale. They are a subgroup in a bigger group. And I think that just like that tweet that I showed you with like 44,000 retweets and the discussions on Reddit and us now, we're emerging to the surface. And so now you've got that one person that wants to switch to a blue bandana and they're looking around, they're seeing lots of other people wearing blue bandanas. It's a little bit easier to make that change, maybe leave that group or convince the group to change. Yeah, that's a really good analogy. And, you know, I think uh, the best way to go about the right to die is through forming a social movement, you know, uh, having it, you know, from the grassroots level. I'll just add on to that is another reason why it's important to have groups like us is like, we're, we are the only one, ugh, I don't want to say only, <laughs> Um, conversations like this though, are, aren't the kind of conversations that like compassion and choices is having, you know, they're really concerned about terminal illness for older folks and legalizing this, you know, this state or that state, which is great, but having conversations about this, or it's like, <laughs> you know, defending people like that any age, these people should be validated and, be respected that their opinions matter and instead of being shut down and saying you need help call this number you know that doesn't get anywhere and um i hope that we're giving people that kind of solace and and just consoling them psychologically enough to feel like they're not alone so we're actually you know doing prevention work here <laughs> the suicide preventionists should like us in a weird way <laughs> yeah absolutely sorry go ahead no, I, was just, I was just agreeing yeah. uh i was going to say um if the preventionist would focus on other things i think the suicide rate could potentially go down like if they focus solely on anti-bullying or mm. or helping the poor we're coming up with ideas that can create more equality, more, more of an open conversation. Yeah. I bet the, I bet the suicide rate wouldn't be 
as high. But, you know, I think also a lot of they they're already depressed. They're already sick. They don't feel validated. The world tells them they're crazy. And then they see these numbers pop up on the screen. And I think that could trigger people to just want to get over with because they are so sick and tired of having preventionist propaganda in their face all the time. I think it's also going to, when this happens, I don't think it's an if. When this happens, I think it's going to motivate our society at large to do a better job of taking care of problems that have been around for a while, like homelessness, like child abuse and things like that. I'm not exactly sure how that's going to play out, but I think it's kind of similar to the way where if you're, if you're an employer and your employees are quitting, that's a motivation for you to resolve the problems and and because you want to retain your staff right but by denying them the right to quit there's no motivating factor you can be the, the worst boss in the world they can't quit they're slaves at that point same thing with the housing crisis in canada you know if uh if the population declines a little bit then uh banking on the property of houses constantly going up is not going to be a sure bet and if that causes a crash and causes wealthy people to lose money, then mm, I think they deserve. I think they deserve that. I mean, that's that's how they that's how they validate the fact that they're making money for free. It's like, well, we're taking a risk, right? Bullshit! You're taking a risk. If people are denied the right to die, where's the risk? Give people the right to die, then you have a risk. Then it's like, okay, well, people are a little more likely to not go into a million dollars in debt to buy a house in the town that they were born into, or you know. It's it's almost like it's almost like serfdom to some extent the when I the way I look at it. And uh anyway, I, I sorry, I know I'm kind of going, I took what you said, I'm kind of going off in a different direction with it, but uh I think when this happens, it's gonna motivate our society to do better in some respects. I I mean, for what it's worth, I do think you're right, because a society that can honor uh, the individual's right to die at the time of their choosing is a society that is dealing more honestly with suffering in general. And so a society that can do that and can have that kind of compassion is, I think, on a good track, at least, to having compassion in a lot of other circumstances. And um, yeah, so I, I, I do think it, it, it will go a long way into making that clear in a lot of other circumstances, just how mm-hmm. badly, just how much people have to deal with and uh, how wrong it is. You know. It also gives bargaining power to our most vulnerable people. It's, it's like having the option to get out of a sucky relationship, you know? Uh, it's popped into my head earlier. People would say, oh, that's cowardly. That's, that's, uh, that's weak of you. You wouldn't say that to a woman leaving an abusive relationship. That's just, that would be such an awful thing to say. Uh, and yet we'll say that to people who want to kill themselves. That's ridiculous, but it's giving bargaining power back to people. Like one of the reasons why, uh, one of the good effects of having the ability to get a divorce is that you can hold that person accountable to better behavior and ensure that you're at least getting a fair deal out of that relationship. Same thing with employment, but not so much with just like 
living in the country that we live in. We don't have the option that, you know, you can go hide in the woods and then maybe get an infection or something or freeze to death or something, but that's just a terrible option. Um, shoot, there was something else I was going to say, but I forgot what it was. Oh, I, I'm really glad that I got to talk with y'all. Uh, I thought about talking with y'all before i like had like imaginary conversations in my head i was like oh i'd like to talk about this 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 kind of stuff like that so it's it's good to to be able to sit here and, and chat with you the three of you yeah yeah us too for sure um yeah. you're welcome anytime you bet oh absolutely it's been an absolute honor to have you on and thank you for being a part of this thank you for inviting me yeah absolutely thank you i very much appreciate it Please uh, subscribe and follow Anton at his YouTube channel. We will have uh, his links in the show notes wherever you are seeing or hearing this. Um, and yeah, please, please uh, give him much attention because as he deserves. Um, it's been a great honor to have him around uh, today. Uh, so thanks. Um, so I guess see you later. Have a good day, Greg. Right, guys? Say goodbye. Bye. Okay. Bye. Bye. And hopefully you'll come back again, you know, and we can further the discussion. Yes. Have a good day. Thanks so much, guys. Take care. We'll see you on the next episode. You have been listening to the Right to No Longer Exist, a Right to Die podcast. We hope that you have enjoyed your time and found the information valuable. Please visit us at therighttonolongerexist.com to learn more about our organization and mission statement. You can also follow us on YouTube, Facebook, and Twitter at The Right to No Longer Exist. There you will find links to our individual channels as well. If you would like to contact us directly, please email info at therighttonolongerexist.com. Thank you for your time, and let's remember that during the time that it took to listen to this podcast, dozens, if not hundreds of people endured a horrific death by suicide. Let's fight together for a world where this doesn't happen anymore. See you next time on the Right to No Longer Exist podcast.